0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Al-Fati. I uh, hope you're having a fabulous uh, Saturday morning and uh, a fabulous new year. Uh, I know this is uh, still the big, uh, I mean, early on in uh, 2020, and uh, we're so thankful uh, for, of course, uh, God's grace and allowing us to uh, continue into our sixth year. Uh, and I'm thankful for your partnership. Uh, without it, I don't think we would have made it this far. Uh, of course, you're tuning in uh, right now to Let Us Reason. And uh, many times I get asked, uh, what time is Let Us Reason and what station? And, uh, you know, uh, all that is great. Uh, of course, it's on KPXQ 1360. That's uh, the way you can listen to it. Again, it's KPXQ 1360 if you want to listen to it on time and live. And that will be on Saturdays at 930, 930, um, Uh, which is uh, uh, typically either Mountain Standard Time or Pacific Standard Time, depending on the time of the year. Nevertheless, you can always go to our website, Cira International, and that's C as in Charlie, I, -I C-I-R-A, international.com. And there is a section in there called Let Us Reason where you can click on it and it's the archive of all of our previous episodes from the beginning since October 4th, 2014. So this is another way you can access it. You can go to iTunes, you can go to SoundCloud, you can go to Spotify, you can go to Omni Studio. These are just few of the platforms where you are able to find our previous shows, and current ones as well. Now, with that said, today, as we've been talking for the last couple of weeks now, uh, I'm going to continue to talk about radical Islam, and today I'm going to walk you through a journey through the mind of someone who is either a radical or becoming a radical. And I'm going to use Saudi as the example. As you know, I'm a former Muslim from Saudi Arabia. Now, let's start with islam as we know it it started it in the year 610 a.d where in mecca which happened to be in saudi so right there we can see a strong spiritual and religious connection between being from saudi and the fact that islam originated from one of the holy cities that happened to be housed in saudi itself that's mecca the first 13 years of Islam from 610 and 620, until 622 A.D. were obviously peaceful or at least filled with warnings only. What do I mean by that? There was no wars, no battles, no uh, attacks on the enemies of Islam, no violence, no commands to fight, no such thing as jihad and war in.
1: And waging jihad and uh, holy
0: war, and the list can go on and on and on. Okay? Now, here's why this is crucial. Because many times you're going to hear our wonderful Muslim friends and neighbors going to tell you that Islam is a religion of peace. And if they are going to quote Quranic passages that came to you in these 13 years, known as the Meccan. Quran or the Meccan passages or the Meccan revelation, they're absolutely right. You're not going to find anything in there that is alarming. But the only problem is the last 10 years. You see, Muhammad served as a prophet from 610 until 632 AD. That's 23 years. The first 13 years is what I just described to you as the peaceful time in Mecca. Still, it has warnings Warnings of hellfire, warning of punishments in the hereafter, warning of basically not meeting the standards of Allah on Judgment Day, and so on and so forth. But we're talking about future punishment, judgment by God. Nothing on the earth itself. Or even, if there's any warning that God might punish you on earth, you know how? We don't know. It's almost like how he punished you know, Noah's, uh, you know, the the world in Noah's time, how he punished Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's always like something supernatural, if you wish, but nothing to the extent of using a sword or, or using his own followers to go and kill and behead and uh, vi- uh, do, use violence and intimidation and all, all that kind of stuff. The last 10 years of Islam, the Prophet of Islam migrated from Mecca to Medina. Again, he migrated from Mecca to Medina around 622 A.D., and right after he migrated, in fact, before his migration, he made a pact with a uh, a number of Arab tribes in Medina and around it, and when he moved there, he no longer found himself to be just a spiritual leader as a prophet and a religious leader for the community, the new community, But he also found himself kind of like overnight becoming a political leader, because that was the beginning of what we call the caliphate. But what Muhammad established is known as the prototype of that, because he is the head of the original Islamic State. And obviously in Islamic States you need rules, laws. That's where you start seeing elements of Sharia emerge, even though it wasn't called that at that time. And then you see commands now to fight those who fight you. And slowly and gradually those commands to fight became open-ended, meaning the fighting now is prescribed at all times. As long as the Islamic community or the Muslims feel antagonized by the enemies of Islam, that includes Christians and Jews, of course, not just idolaters in general. As a result of this, of course, you begin to see The Medinan revelation. Why Medinan? Because he moved from Mecca to Medina. So now he received for the last ten years more revelations known as the Medinan Quran, the Medinan revelations. And it is in those Medinan revelations, the last ten years, that you will find commands for holy war and jihad. That includes both spiritual and physical. That includes sacrifice in someone's life, and also, someone finances for the case, for the sake of spreading Islam and making Islam supreme. As we read in chapter eight, for instance, that the religion will be God's. And uh, in uh, in chapter three, verse twenty-eight, that people uh, who follow the religion of Islam can use the concept of covering or taqiyya to protect their actual intent to spread Islam, and wage war. What, what do I mean by taqiyya? Just recently, uh, for instance, two incidents. One in London, uh, the London attacker attacker that used a knife by the name of Usman Khan. He was actually imprisoned prison after being convicted in 2012 for terrorism activities in England. But then the government, uh, the British government, came up with a program that will re-radicalize the radicals, uh, meaning change their allegiance, technically speaking, from being radical Muslims to becoming secular Muslims and try to fit with society. He signed up basically to be uh, one of those that will go through this program, and as a result he was uh, was released from jail, went through the program, uh, gave all the indication that he has been re-radicalized and his mind basically changed and apologized for his previous behaviors and his hatred. All of that was a cover-up, taqiyya. And when the moment was right, he went, believe it or not, to a conference that was going to showcase him as a success story. And what does he do? He wears a fake suicide bomb vest and he goes and knives and kills The person who was hitting that program to re-radicalize radical Muslims, and the person who basically ran a 10-mile, basically, to raise money for him to buy him a laptop. That's how he did it, to thank that person, by killing him. Anyway, so, what goes on in the mind of someone from Saudi or someone who is a Muslim when they become radical, or they are prone to radical Islam, or... Slowly and gradually begin to develop that affinity for radicalism. Well, here's what happens they begin to study Islam at a deeper level, study the Quran, come across the fact that the later parts of the Quran, known as the Medina, abrogated, canceled the peaceful passages in the beginning. There is a doctrine of abrogation or cancellation that the later passage of the Quran usually will overrule earlier ones. Typically, the commands to fight the infidels, that includes Christians and Jews, will override any peaceful passages in the past. So they, the more they become more basically fundamentalists, and I use the word in a positive way, meaning studying the fundamentalists of Islam, the more they begin to grasp the importance of obedience to the commands that are found in the Quran, and through the teaching of the Prophet of Islam, known as Hadith, and his lifestyle through the Sunnah or the Seerah, which is his biography and living and teaching, and so on and so forth. So that will be the transforming point in the mind of someone. They start getting deeper and deeper into these so-called Quranic scripture, the teaching of the Prophet, and usually they have access to a mentor or a teacher. These days they use it do it just by listening to YouTube videos or watching them or listening to podcasts. And uh, even people from the grave who have been dead a long time ago, like Ayman and al are still influencing people. People like Bin Laden, who has been uh, basically killed uh, are, uh, in, in 2011, uh, uh, are still also, or 12, I, I believe it's 11, uh, are still also influencing these youngsters. Most of the time they're young. You find them in their teen years, or at least uh, you know less than 40. Usually, it's in their 20s. Uh, Once they get to the 30s, you know they still have that affinity, but they get to the 40s and the 50s, it slows down. But the affinity is there to at least support the youngsters. Who wants to do it? How? Maybe by facilitating things for them, supporting them financially, uh, offering services to protect them, uh, smuggle, you know, things for them. I mean, that's a form of jihad. You fight by offering yourself or your finances. And the finances indicate, of course, services in general. So that's what goes on in the mind of a person who's starting to become more radicalized. If they were radical, they become deeper into radicalization, uh, into, uh, uh, I mean, more radicalized, you say, deeper into radical teachings. Or if they've never been radical before, they become slowly and gradually radical. Why do I say this? You hear this all the time. People tell you, but my neighbor really doesn't like ISIS. He said ISIS doesn't represent Islam. Or my neighbor is a wonderful person. I mean, he doesn't even give me the indication that he's even religious. Bingo! That's the thing. When they're not religious, they're not going to really understand what the religion that they're following is teaching, nor that they're going to comprehend the importance of obedience. Remember, Islam is a religion of works. What does that mean? You obey commands, you earn good deeds, and... On Judgment Day, these good deeds will be weighed on a scale before God, who is going to be your judge. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then the chances of you making it to heaven are great. Now, I say chances because there is no assurance of salvation in Islam, except, hear me out, except when you're willing to physically fight and die as a martyr, only then, your sins are forgiven, there is no judgment for you, and you will go straight to paradise. Paradise in Islam is the highest level of heaven, and you'll be in the company of the prophet of Islam and other prophets, because Islam teaches that those are righteous people, saints, if you wish, that will be at the highest level of heaven. And in order for the ordinary people like, uh, like you know, the ordinary Muslim to make it that level have to do the ultimate sacrifice and what a better sacrifice for them than to fight and die as martyrs and shed their own blood the gospel in reverse folks the gospel in reverse jesus shed his blood for humanity so that by faith in his work in his grace you are saved and you will be today he said you will be with me in paradise look what satan did took that and said no 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 you gotta do it yourself you shed your own blood but how do you do this you have to find a cause to justify you shedding your own blood. It's not a suicide. You're killing the infidels. You get the idea? I hope so. Why do I say this? Because I don't think the West is getting it so far. I don't think the Western governments are getting it so far. I don't think that Western politicians are getting it so far. And even if they are getting it, they're really deceiving their own people by not sharing the truth with them. It's one thing to tell me that I understand that, and we're keeping it under the rug, and we don't want to expose our security, national security methodologies. It's another to give the indication that there's only a handful of those who are radicals. They don't represent the Islamic community. Well, you know what? I'm sorry to tell you. I am thankful that the majority of Muslims in the Islamic communities all over the world are not radical. You know why? Because they don't know Islam. That's the only reason why they're not radical. How else can you explain to me that somebody who lived in the UK who will have all the freedom in the world to experience democracy that is not even offered in his own previous country of origin in Pakistan, and he's not even basically allowed the freedom of religion and freedom of opinion and choice and speech under Sharia law, how else can he be ungrateful and disgraceful in his action? other than the fact that he became radicalized by learning more and more about his own faith and realizing, wait a minute, I cannot turn my back on my own teaching. My faith, Islam, taught me that Islam is the superior religion in the world, that my prophet is the seal of the prophets, he's the final one that I have to follow his commands that superseded any other commands of other prophets that came before him. And that the Quranic passages in Medina that demand jihad have overruled and superseded the peaceful one that came in Medina. Do you get it? You become more legalistic and you become more basically rigid in your interpretation. Normally there is a teacher. In this case, of course, there is this movement that is called Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jamaah, meaning the followers of the Sunnah and the uh, majority or the community. Okay? And uh, one of the leaders was no other than Anjum Chaudhary. Anjum Chaudhary, you can Google him, by the way. You'll watch many of his YouTube. The guy is very honest. He'll tell you Islam will not be a peaceful religion until it becomes the only dominant religion in the world. Until then, they have to wage war against the enemies of Islam. The guy will tell you this. I mean, if you don't believe me, go and Google Anjum Chaudhary interview with Sean Hannity and Fox News. Or, right, Anjum Chaudhry, Islam is a religion of peace. And see the interview for yourself. It was an interview, at least one of many, with Fox News and others, but this particular one was with Sean Hannity and Anjum always, I mean, he made uh, basically Sean Hannity fume one time because he was saying boldly, listen, Islam, yes, It's a religion of peace, but it will not be peaceful, and you will not, as a society and humanity and in the world, experience the tangible evidence of the peace of Islam until you submit to Islam, until Islam becomes the supreme, basically, religion. And that's, my friends and my brothers and sisters, the core problem. That's what goes on in the mind of a radical. They begin to understand they have a mission. And the mission is to first and foremost to obey 100% with full submission, Islam means submission, the teaching of the Quran, that's the teaching of God, Allah, the teaching of the Hadith and the Prophet, that's the teaching of Muhammad, and follow the example of Muhammad and his companions. In the early days of Islam and the history of Islam, how Islam spread, dominated the world, and the history of the caliphate that ISIS came to basically rejuvenate and reignite. All that to say is that when a person begin, a Muslim person I should say, begin to think this way or a convert to Islam is taught along these lines, we are in deep trouble. Houston, we have a problem. Why? Because that person is grasping importance of physical jihad. Why? Because they want to spread the cause of Islam. They know by acting that way, they bring the spotlight not on just on their action, but the spotlight on Islam itself and the fact that it is behind us. And the more radical actions take place, the more people join in. They're not actually dropping out of the race. They're joining in And look at what's going on lately. Many of them, starting from the days of ISIS in 2014, recruiting youngsters from Canada, from Belgium, from Europe, from England, from France, from all over Europe, from Sweden, all of them lived under democracy. Some of them are born there. Some of them are second and third generation. Yet, they ignored all of that for the sake of their faith. And they studied, learned, and realized the only way to heaven is to be obedient to the teaching of God. And we're living in a foreign nation. They are oppressing us. They're not allowing us to practice Sharia law. They're not allowing us to openly share Islam and make it the supreme religion. Therefore, they're antagonizing us. They're the enemies of Islam. They are worthy to be fought against and killed. Now, what about ISIS fighting other Muslims, because in the mind of ISIS, those Muslims were mediocre Muslims. They are nominal Muslims. They're no Muslims at all. So it's no problem for ISIS to consider these Muslims to be infidels anyway. A real Muslim is the Muslim that goes along the line of ISIS and the model of the prophet that was set to them in the 7th century, 1400 years ago. You understand what's going on here? I lived all of that myself. I was going through that trajectory of radicalization. I understood clearly what goes on in the mind of these people who act this way, like the Saudi soldier who was at the Naval Aviation Station in Pensacola, Florida, recently, who basically shot some of his classmates, killing three of them, and injuring and wounding seven others, and and he was killed. Why would he do something like this? you're going to tell me, well, man, I mean, the Saudi government is modernizing right now. I mean, uh, uh, there is a movement right now to uh, become more and more open-minded, you know, open market to Westerners giving, you know, visas for tourists, uh, allowing women to drive. That's true. If you ask him, if you bring this guy back from the dead and say, why did you do this? I mean, uh, how come uh, you are going in that direction? Saudi is open-minded. They send you to the U.S. to train and benefit from this uh, cooperative program with the U.S. government just say, you know what, the U.S. government is an evil Christian nation supporting Israel, and our government in Saudi is already succumbing to the pressure from the Westerners, and therefore they're becoming no Muslim government at all. In other words, in his mind, the Saudi government today doesn't represent Islam. You don't believe me? Just watch how many of these attacks going to start taking place. And this particular, these particular attacks, by the way, are in retaliation of taking out al-Baghdadi, of course. Nevertheless, I'm telling you folks, we got our work cut out for us. So what's the solution? What's the solution to re-radicalize a Muslim mind? Very simple. One word. The gospel. One phrase. The gospel message. One verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's the solution. The church have to step up to the plate. I've been preaching the idea that there are so many Saudi students in our campuses in the U.S., and we need more and more people to reach out to them, just like a simple family reached out to me. This is how we convert people from becoming radicals for evil to radical for Christ and sharing the truth with their family and community. That's how you do it, folks. That's the ultimate, basically, solution. And I want to quote uh, you know, a phrase that I love from my dear brother Sam Shimon. Uh, here's what he says. No army in the world can defeat this ideology except the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the solution. My time is up. We'll continue with this discussion. But for now, I encourage you, of course, to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. It's sirainternational.com. Become a giver and a supporter through Patreon, patron, or through uh, PayPal. Until we meet again, have a blessed day.